the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. It's Friday. That means for the first couple of segments this hour, we'll take a look at the day's headlines, followed by a look at the lighter side of the news. James Blend, he has returned, and he'll join me for that. And then in the second hour of today's program, a tribute to one of the co-founders of Salem Media Group, Stu Epperson. He passed away earlier this week. That's coming up in the second hour on today's Christian Outlook. But first, some of the headlines. Republicans immediately began lashing out at President Biden on Thursday following the release of an unclassified FBI document detailing his alleged involvement in an international bribery scheme rather, with a number um, ra- uh, rallying for his uh, impeachment. Senator Chuck Grassley, he released the FD 1023 form earlier in the day. It detailed how the uh, president, then vice president, along with his son, Hunter Biden, allegedly coerced Burisma CEO Mikola Slokevsky or something very like that, to pay them millions of dollars in exchange for their help in getting the Ukrainian prosecutor investigating the company fired. He bragged about it at the time. After the uh, firing, Grassley said he released the document so that the American people can read the document for themselves without the filter of politicians or bureaucrats. The document in question is an FBI generated FD 1023 form, which Grassley acquired via legally protected disclosures by Department Justice Department whistleblowers, according to the senator's office. The FD-1023, a confidential human source reporting document, reflects the FBI's interview with a highly credible confidential source who detailed multiple meetings and conversations he or she had with a top executive of Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings over the course of several years, starting in 2015. Hunter Biden, at the time, sat on the board of Burisma. A prominent Democrat and Jewish leader who served for decades as a New York lawmaker and now leads a group committed to fighting anti-Semitism announced Thursday he's leaving his lifelong political party and becoming a Republican, arguing Democrats have become radicalized and turned their back on the Jewish people. It's official. My wife and I have switched our party affiliation from Democrat to Republican. Dov Hikind, who spent 36 years in the New York State Assembly and later founded Americans Against Anti-Semitism, tweeted, People have long been asking, Dove, when are you going to leave the Democrat Party? Well, the time has come because the Democrats have turned their backs on Jews and Israel, so it's officially done, he went on to say. Russian forces in Syria have continued to harass U.S. forces and interrupt uh, American operations in the country, engaging in unprofessional conduct that the U.S. has so far been unable to deter. The Russians are clearly attempting to harass U.S. efforts, surveillance efforts and military efforts inside Syria. Bill Raggio, he's the managing editor of the Long War Journal. 
The Russians are attempting to put pressure on the U.S. to leave Syria in order for the Russians to gain further prominence there. Raggio's comments come just days after a Russian fighter jet buzzed a U.S. surveillance craft in the skies over Syria, an incident that put the lives of the four American crew members in danger, according to the Pentagon. A Rhode Island state senator who was caught keying a man's car last month was sentenced to pay restitution after admitting to the charge of vandalism and obstruction of a police officer. I am truly sorry for my actions in this matter, and I am disappointed in my behavior and lack of judgment. Senator Joshua Miller, the Democrat, told reporters outside 3rd District Court in Warwick on Tuesday, according to the Boston Globe. In a blink of an eye, I exhibited a lack of self-control that has impacted my reputation, he went on to say. For that, I only have myself to blame as I am solely responsible for what led to today's court proceedings. It's refreshing to hear someone take full responsibility. For his own actions, Senator John Fetterman, the Democrat from Pennsylvania, told the Time magazine in an interview on Thursday that the lone debate he and had with Dr. Oz before the midterm elections was the breaking point that lit the match on his depression. In a piece headlined how John Fetterman came out of the darkness, Fetterman revealed to Time magazine that it was the debate that accelerated his depression. He checked himself into Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in February after he was diagnosed with clinical depression. The Pennsylvania senator added that after the debate, he considered himself a national embarrassment and time reported that uh, that was when the darkness came. Fetterman believes the debate with Oz would be remembered as a debacle. The Democratic senator appeared in Philadelphia in June, where he donned a hoodie and shorts and spoke alongside President Biden after part of uh, I-95 collapsed. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has said the city has no more room for migrants and our cup has basically runneth over. After it welcomed approximately 90,000 migrants since April of last year, Adams said in a press conference on Wednesday, we stated several months ago that we have reached full capacity and that full, full capacity was verbalized and now New York is just going to be visually actualized. We're going to see how much of our cup has basically runneth over. We have no more room in the city and we need help. He has rescinded their sanctuary city status. Freedom of speech at college campuses, libraries, governments, social media and in public square is under attack today on all sides, according to former ACLU president Nadine Strassen. Strassen, currently a professor at New York Law School, has emerged as a key voice in the fight for freedom of speech and offers up criticism of both left and right as she advocates for robust interpretation of the First Amendment. She believes that self-censorship and private sector censorship pose an even greater threat to today's society than government censorship. Recent revelations about heavy-handed government oversight on social media companies are of concern to her. However, she believes self-censoring is uh, stifling American discourse to a larger degree and preventing open and honest debate on major issues. Some self-censorship is appropriate, Strassen said, but the surveys consistently show that people are engaging in self-censorship to the extent of not only not expressing certain perspectives at all, but even not addressing whole topics at all, end quote. House Democrats on Thursday tried unsuccessfully to remove Robert F. Kennedy Jr. from a hearing on federal government censorship after claiming he was in violation of House rules aimed at preventing defamatory or degrading testimony. That effort and others by Democrats to silence him at the hearing prompted RFK Jr. to say this is an attempt to censor a censorship hearing. 
RFK Jr., who is running for president against President Biden, was invited by Republicans to testify at a hearing at the House Judiciary Subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. But after his opening remarks, Representative Dave, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz moved to take the hearing into executive session to discuss RFK Jr.'s alleged violations of a House rule aimed at banning testimony that defames or degrades others. RFK gives um, gave his opening statement before the subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, got roaring applause, but um, they had to invent a new word called malinformation to censor people like me, RFK described uh, the incident. Malinformation is information that is true but is inconvenient to the government that they don't want people to hear, end quote. Well, House Democrats voted to censor RFK Jr. during a hearing on censorship at which he was invited to speak. The mayor is blaming everyone but himself for the the uh, dumb policy he inherited and stubbornly maintained for as long as he could. We're talking about New York City Mayor Adams removing the sanctuary city status of Gotham, saying we have no more room. Uh, Gotham will uh, put its ex- experiment as a sanctuary city to an end. We have no more room. Adams declared at a press conference on Wednesday in what the New York Times described as a somewhat unexpected departure. The Adams administration announced that the city would no longer welcome illegal migrants as it previously had. Again, no longer a sanctuary city. And in other news, the city of New York agreed to pay $13.7 million in a settlement in a class action lawsuit brought by protesters who accused the NYPD officers of using unlawful policing tactics and violating the rights of demonstrators during the 2020 protests and riots uh, sparked by the death of George Floyd. The city has agreed to pay $9,950 per person to up to 1,380 people who were arrested and or subjected to force by NYPD officers during protests at 18 different locations throughout the Manhattan and Brooklyn areas in May and June of 2020. The city denied liability in the settlement agreement and also denied the NYPD had a pattern or practice that violated anyone's rights. Jeff Offenharts points out that New York City has just agreed to pay more than $13 million to protesters who were arrested or beaten by NYPD officers during the George Floyd demonstrations, among the largest settlements ever for a mass arrest class action. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the day's headlines. We'll continue that look. And then in the second half of this hour, the lighter side of the news with James Blend. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Lori Smith of 303 Creative, she was a guest on our program last week, is facing punishment from the left as a result of her Supreme Court victory. United States Supreme Court cases have become fraught with peril for those who differ from leftist ideology. Litigants faced potential death threats, protesting, harassment, and doxing, putting their personal information, even their addresses, online to encourage harassment and violence. Justices have faced the same, including at least one attempted assassination. Following the recent Supreme Court ruling in 303 Creative LLC versus Elena's, Lori Smith faces a stream of vitriol so fierce that she's afraid to let her 11-year-old daughter play outside in front of their home by herself. Smith described the death threats, threats of rape and of bodily harm, and threats to her family as heartbreaking. A Harvard law professor is urging the Biden administration to restrain MAGA justices. These are the individuals educating your children. Well, the National Review reports that Mark Tushnet, the um, 
William Nelson, Cornwall Professor of Law Emeritus at Harvard Law School, a former president of the Association of American Law Schools and the author of many of the books that Americans Law students use while in college has joined forces with a political science professor from San Francisco State University to write an open letter to President Biden urging him to begin openly ignoring the Supreme Court. We urge President Biden to restrain MAGA justices immediately by announcing that if and when they issue rulings that are based on gravely mistaken interpretations of the Constitution that undermine our most fundamental commitments, The administration will be guided by its own constitutional interpretations. Now, this is such a dangerous move. We have three branches of government, co-equal branches of government. And what they're suggesting is that the executive branch simply ignore, override, dispense with the judicial branch. They go on. We have worked diligently over the past five years to advocate Supreme Court expansion as a necessary strategy for restoring democracy. Now, what they're suggesting is if you don't have the political outcome that you're interested in, you simply pack the court until you do. Well, Virginia now requires public schools to get parental approval to change a child's gender identity. The new policies, which must be adopted by all of Virginia's public school districts, prohibit schools and school staff from accommodating a student's request to use a different name or pronoun at school unless the child's parents provide written permission. The finalized policy released on Tuesday also requires students to participate in school athletic programs and use bathroom facilities consistent with their biological sex. The American Civil Liberties Union of Virginia said it is horrified by the new model policies. It's not really that new. Uh, In a statement released on Wednesday, we are horrified that VDOE, the Department of Education in Virginia, opted to move forward with proposed um, model policies that are at best invite, at worst require discrimination that violate state and federal law and that have no place in Virginia schools. So essentially informing parents and um, requiring that they have a say in whether or not a student is permitted to move forward. Uh, that is uh, considered discrimination and a violation of state and federal law, according to the ACLU's uh, Virginia Policy and Legislative Council. Parent activists were quick to praise the new policies for protecting parental rights, a key aspect of Youngkin's successful gubernatorial bid in 2021. A California Democrat attempted to eradicate gender terms such as wife from federal laws. Representative Julia Brownlee, a Democrat from California, is leading an effort to replace gendered terms in federal law with gender neutral language. The bill titled the Amend the Code for Marriage Equity Act would strike gender terms like husband and wife from federal laws in favor of terms such as spouse or married person. The bill also uh, taken aim at uh, takes aim rather at references to a husband and wife in terms like former wife, replacing them with married couple person who has been but is no longer married. References to one man and one woman would also be eliminated, replaced with two people as spouses. According to the survey by Redfield and Wilton Strategies, 44 percent of those aged 25 to 34 think referring to someone by the wrong gender pronoun, he, him or she, her should be a criminal offense versus just 31 percent who disagree. This view remains popular for those 35 to 44, among whom 38 percent think misgendering should be illegal, whilst 35 percent disagree. Newsweek reports. The Chosen, a series about the life of Jesus, has been granted an exemption 
a special dispensation, if you will, and will be allowed to continue filming despite the ongoing writer's strike and actor strike in Hollywood. The Angel Studios series has been granted one of the first exemptions from the Screen Actors Guild to continue filming its fourth season, despite the fact that the strike effectively shut down the production of most television shows and movies. Creator and director Dallas Jenkins made the announcement that filming would continue. In an example of the American spirit, a flight attendant saved a honeymoon. When newlyweds discovered mid-flight from Detroit to their honeymoon destination in San Juan, Puerto Rico, that the bride had forgotten her passport, panic set in. The couple was scheduled to set out on a Caribbean cruise requiring their passport. In desperation, the couple reached out to a Delta flight attendant, Dusty Dillis. Uh, who, after hearing their predicament, went above and beyond. Dillis noted that since he would be on the returning flight to Detroit that day, he could pick up the bride's uh, passport, fly back down to Atlanta, and hand it off to another flight attendant who could then get it to the couple in San Juan. The plan was put into action with the help of a bride's sister getting the passport to the uh, flight attendant in Detroit, and with just an hour and a half to spare, the passport was in the hands of the bride in time for the newlyweds to board their honeymoon cruise. I consider that the greatest wedding gift we could have asked for the bride gushed. I felt um, like probably the luckiest bride on earth Ah, above and beyond. Senate Democrats advanced the so-called SCOTUS ethics bill Uh, in their ongoing attacks against the U.S. Supreme Court. Senate Democrats advanced their dubious ethics bill out of the Judiciary Committee. For a full Senate vote, the bill in question would force new transparency rules and standards onto the court, seeing this as a ploy. Uh, to assert political control over the court due to several decisions that Democrats have objected to, Republicans have steadfastly refused to go along with the, uh, with the plan. As Republican Senator Lindsey Graham argued, if this bill ever passed, the Supreme Court would be destroyed as we know it. While the bill has no chance of becoming law, since it won't get the needed 60 votes in the Senate or pass through the Republican-controlled House, Its purpose is for Democrats to use it as a political bludgeon against Republicans for rejecting ethics standards for a rogue court. The Republican-led House voted against rehiring pilots who had been fired over the vaccine in the middle of the national shortage. And former President Trump's classified documents trial date has been set for May 2024. That's six months before the election. Chinese hackers breached emails For U.S. ambassadors and 13 attorneys general put corporations on notice after an affirmative action ruling. No more racial discrimination. An upstate New York motel kicked a guest out to make room for migrants bust from New York City and move over Mickey Mouse. A proposed two billion dollar American themed park is set for Oklahoma. On this day in history, 1861, during the Civil War, the first battle of Bull Run is fought near Manassas, Virginia, resulting in a Confederate victory. 1924, the so-called monkey trial ends in Dayton, Tennessee, with John T. Scopes found guilty of violating state law for teaching Darwin's theory of evolution. The conviction would be later overturned on a technicality. 1969, Apollo 11 astronauts Neil Armstrong And Edwin Buzz Aldrin, they blast off from the moon aboard the ascent stage of the lunar module for docking with the command module. 1980, draft registration begins in the United States for 19 and 20-year-old men. 1990, a benefit concert takes place in Germany at the site of the fallen Berlin Wall. The concert, which drew some 200,000 people, is headlined by Roger Waters, 
a founder of Pink Floyd. The concert ends with the collapse of a mock Berlin Wall made of styrofoam. 1994, Britain's Labour Party elects Tony Blair, its new leader, succeeding the late John Smith. 1999, Navy divers find and recover the bodies of John F. Kennedy Jr., his wife Carolyn, and sister-in-law Lauren Bissett, and the wreckage of Kennedy's plane in the Atlantic Ocean off Martha's Vineyard. 2000 on This Day in History, Special Counsel John C. Danforth concludes with 100% certainty that the federal government is innocent of wrongdoing in the siege that killed 80 members of the Branch Davidian compound near Waco, Texas in 1993. 2008, former Bosnian Serb leader Radovan Karadovic, one of the world's top war crimes fugitives, is arrested in a Belgrade suburb by Serbian security forces. He would be sentenced by a U.N. court in 2019 to life imprisonment after being convicted of genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes. On this day in history, 2011, the 30-year-old space shuttle program ends as Atlantis lands at Cape Canaveral, Florida, after the 135th shuttle flight. And finally, on this day in history, Puerto Rico Governor Ricardo Rosello announces he will not seek re-election but refuses to resign amid corruption allegations and widespread protests. Rosello would announce his resignation just three days later. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a look at the lighter side of the news with James Blend. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend, who is the famed producer of The Georgine Rice Show, Took a solid two weeks off vacation. I know, ladies and gentlemen, I was shocked, too. But he decided to return, and we welcome him back to take a look at the lighter side of the news with me. Welcome back, James. I think the term was a tan, rested, and ready, although I'm not really particularly tan. No. Nor rested. But you're ready. Well, that's questionable. (laughs) I was trying to be generous. Did you have a good vacation? Yeah, it was good, yeah. You know, I have a lot of vacation time. I don't know where to go or what to do or when to take it. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. I, I, I always joke with people who have a lot of vacation time that uh, they should just go to the Johnny Carson plan and you know work four days a week until whenever down the road they decide to retire. Or have exhausted their vacation well, time. Well, you, you, you get your crew vacation time the other four days a week. So it's kind of an endless cycle. Wow. Perpetual vacation. Perpetual three-day weekends. Although, you know, I I really enjoy Friday, so I don't know. Well, there is that. There is that. All right, let's take a look at the lighter side of the news, beginning with the National Weather Service. Uh, They actually baked cookies uh, in a hot car in Texas. The um, NWS personnel in Texas put the record heat wave to good use by baking a batch of cookies on the dashboard of a hot car. Not even the hood of the car, the dashboard. Uh, The NWS office in Midland said in a Facebook post it was about 105 degrees Fahrenheit outside and 190 degrees inside the car when the cookie dough uh, was placed um, on the dashboard. The cookies were left to cook for four and a half hours. Usually only takes about eight to ten minutes in an oven at about 350. Uh, The cookies weren't quite golden brown, but they were fully cooked. Can confirm that they were done and delicious, the employees wrote. Officials said the project highlights the dangers of hot cars. Now, this heat is still incredibly dangerous to anyone left in a hot car. Look before you lock, they wrote. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's yum or gross. Yeah. I mean, I'm not cookies, sure either. It's hard to get cookies wrong, but 
seems like cooking them on a dashboard might be the start of the wrongness. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. There might have been some like tin foil or something underneath, so it's not I, directly I, I, on the I would hope so. dashboard. One can hope. A Mexican candy company earned a Guinness World Record by creating a massive marshmallow weighing more than a grand piano. Woo. You know how light and airy a marshmallow is? And this um, this huge thing weighed more than a grand piano. Uh, they created the marshmallow outdoors at Plaza Fundarato de Guadalajara in Guadalajara as part of the celebration Can surrounding you say that the again? state. I missed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't murder the uh, the king's English or the king's Spanish. Um, they were in the state of Jalisco. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that correctly either. It was the 200th anniversary. Well, the company said it took a team of about 100 people around 53 hours to prepare the giant fluffy treat. Now, why a marshmallow, one wonders. It weighed 1,429.47 pounds, more than a 1,058-pound Steinway Grand Piano, according to Guinness. The um, adjudicator was on hand to verify the colossal confection beat the previous record of 205 pounds set by uh, Britain's school in 2019. Wow. That's one huge marshmallow. What do you do with it afterwards? Uh, I believe you walk through the streets of Manhattan. Oh, wait, that was the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. My bad. <laughs> well, I would look and see if he uh, shows up at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. An Australian fitness enthusiast recaptured a Guinness World Record title by performing 3,249 push-ups in an hour. The 30-year-old previously set the record for most push-ups in one hour at 3,182 uh, in uh, April of 2022, but his record was broken by fellow Australian uh, Lucas Helmke, who performed 3,206 push-ups in November of that same year. Well, Scully, Daniel Scully, the current record holder, credited the burpees he performed while training for his latest attempt with helping him set the new record. It got my fitness up to a space it had never been before, but not just that. It helped me to deal with my pain, considering I had to jump up and down from my left from my left arm. Okay. His left arm is in near constant pain due to a condition called complex regional pain syndrome, which was caused by a severe break when he was about 12 years old. It's the brain sending wrong messages to my arm, he says, so anything like soft touch, movement, wind, water will cause pain. He said his next goal is to recapture another record he formerly held, the longest time in an abdominal plank position. Glutton for that punishment. painful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, uh, I know, what the motivation I, I know, is. I know I don't want anybody to hit my abdomen with a plank. <laughs> yeah. A team of four men who took their canoe from Lake Itasca to the Gulf of Mexico officially broke the Guinness World Record for fastest time to row the length of the Mississippi River by a team. You know, all these people break these records. Do they ever put them back together? Well, someone else will. Scott Miller, Judson Steinbeck, Paul Cox, and Wally Werderich completed their journey in 16 days, 20 hours, and 16 minutes because they clearly had nothing better to do. Uh, they confirmed the men uh, broke the previous record of 17 days, 19 hours, and 46 minutes, which was set in 2021. Miller, who was the leader of the Mississippi Speed Record team, said confirmation of the feat came as a relief. Honestly, I do think now that it is Guinness officials, I realize I was under some stress, 
I feel like now I can fully enjoy the accomplishment. Again, people have a lot of time on their hands to spend whatever length of time it took them to uh, shoot the Mississippi. A California man who was named the world's oldest bodybuilder in 2015 has his title updated when he participated in the recent competition at age 90. Jim Arrington, who was first named the world's oldest bodybuilder by Guinness World Records at age 83, broke his own record by participating in an International Federation of Bodybuilding and Fitness Professional League event in Reno, Nevada. Arrington placed third in the men's over 70 category at the event and first in the over 80 category. The athlete uh, said he was born at just 5.5 pounds, suffered from multiple health issues during his early years. He said he started lifting weights at age eight or age 15. Rather, I wanted to be a superhero. Uh, Arrington, uh, who still spends two hours at the gym, three times a week, three hours a week uh, and uh, holds the world record. Uh, opened an entire new universe, including a feature in Men's Health last year. Wow. You know, maybe I should take up bodybuilding. You know, you grease yourself up, you put on one of those little suits and you pose. My concern is, can you see the muscles beneath the the excess skin and flab? Or maybe they use some kind of a mechanism where they can see underneath. I believe that's called an x-ray. Yeah, but that doesn't show you the muscles. It would That's just, true. Yeah. Maybe I won't take it up. I'll, I just see it as a protective coating. You know, I have six-pack abs. They're just covered with a protective layer so that uh, they're never injured in any way. I have six-pack abs. I just happen to have a cooler on top of them. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Almost. Got to keep that six-pack of soda Nice and cold. Absolutely, and protected. Almost 140 bearded men who resemble Ernest Hemingway converged at uh, Key West, the late author's home during the 1930s, to compete in the Hemingway Lookalike uh, contest that began on Thursday evening. The challenge is a highlight of the island's Hemingway Days Festival that salutes the literary talent and adventurous life of the Nobel Prize-winning writer. During his Key West years, Hemingway penned classics including For Whom the Bell Tolls and To Have and Have Not. The three-night lookalike competition is held at Sloppy Joe's Bar, where Hemingway often spent time with locals and literary friends. Closely observed by a judging uh, a panel of previous winners, including 2022's John Oval of Dade City, Florida, contestants take turns pontificating and parading across Sloppy Joe's stage. Okay. Many are repeat contenders who bring their own uh, cheering section and most attempt to copy the Papa persona and appearance adopted by Hemingway in his later years. The contest's second preliminary round is set for Friday, the 124th anniversary of Hemingway's July 21st birth and 2023 winner uh, is set to be chosen on Saturday night. Hemingway Days continues through Sunday if you're headed that way with events including a quirky running of the bulls spoof, a street fair and the Key West Marlin Tournament that recalls the author's passion for Florida Keys fishing. Alrighty then. Hemingway lookalike. I, you know, I'd probably, yeah, I, I'm not surprised, but uh, the question is, uh, you know, when you get that many Hemingway lookalikes together in a room, is that a Guinness record? Maybe so. That's I mean, a good you, question. You know, you'd have to think that it's got to be pretty close. Somebody call. As South Koreans uh, campaigners uh, 
I should say, as South Korea campaigns to retire an old and old age counting method that makes people a year or two older than they really are. Children are among the few who seem most eager to stick with the past. Well, South Koreans grow younger overnight as the country has changed how it counts people's ages. I'm thinking about moving to South Korea. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. But we do need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show as we take a look at the lighter side of the news. Coming up in the second hour, a tribute to the co-founder of Salem Media Group, Stu Epperson. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as South Korea campaigns to retire an old and old age counting method that makes people a year or two older than they actually are, children are, the among, are among the few who seem most eager to stick with the past. I turned six and then became five again, Kim Da-in said when a TV reporter asked her about a new law that went into effect on Wednesday last week that formalizes the international age counting method in administrative and civil laws and encourages people to tally their own ages accordingly. Well, South Korea's traditional age counting custom considers every person one year old at birth and adds another year when the calendar hits January 1, meaning a child born on December 31st turns two the next day. While the new law is the country's latest attempt to retire that method and standardize international ages based on the passing of birthdays, it's not immediately clear what will actually change, putting aside the minor frustrations of children like Da-in waiting for their birthdays. President Yoon Suk-yeol, who uh, described the uh, standardizing international ages as a key goal of his government, cited a need to reduce social and administrative confusion and disputes. But officials in South Korea's Ministry of Government legislation acknowledge the new law won't meaningfully change how the country's public services are done, as most are already based on international ages. International ages are the standard in most South Korean laws and official and legal documents and define when a person goes to school, becomes eligible to drive, vote, receive a pension, and so on. Still, the law was welcomed by Choi Un-young, a 49-year-old resident of the capital, uh, who no longer feels the need to describe herself as being in her 50s. The law doesn't make you biologically younger, and there are no real benefits other than feeling good about being called a year younger than before, she says. But if that's the international standard, there's nothing bad following it. Um, Another Seoul resident agreed. It's always good to be younger. Oh, yes, with a laugh, praising the new law for turning him 61 from 63. His birthday is December 16th. He became two years older, less than a month later. Um, after he was born. And yes, he says, that's why the old counting method doesn't make sense. But 21-year-old Kim si Yun, who uh, already missed the old counting method, which uh, felt simpler to her, uh, believes that not being 21, more mature, is not a benefit. Well, sorry. An Android robot, Eve R6, took the conductor's podium in Seoul, Korea on Friday evening, to lead a performance by South Korea's National Orchestra, marking the first such attempt in the country. The two-armed robot, designed by the Korea Institute for Industrial Technology, made its debut at the National Theater in Korea, leading musicians in the country's National Orchestra. Now, it doesn't seem to me it would be that hard. I mean, you conduct keeping time. If it changes time, you can simply program that into the robot. So I'm not sure this is much of an accomplishment, 
Uh, but the two-armed robot designed by the Institute of Industrial Technology made its debut. The robot with a humanoid face first bowed to the audience and started waving its arms to control the tempo of the live show. Movements by the conductor are very detailed, says the uh, uh, Choi Su Yol, who led Friday's performance alongside the robot. The robot was able to uh, present such detailed moves uh, much better than I had imagined, uh, went on to say. Um, but Eve R6's critical weakness, Choi said, is that it cannot listen. Of course, the conductor Oops. is supposed to be followed and doesn't necessarily have to listen. But Lee Yongju, an audience member who studies traditional Korean music, said the robot's moves, though impeccable in keeping the rhythm, lacked breath. And the ability to keep the orchestra ready to engage collectively and instantly, which he said was essential in performance. It seemed there was some work to be done for the robot to do the job. Song In-Ho, another um, attendee, an audience member, also said that ever, uh, that's EVER6's performance, appeared to be at an elementary level. But at least it was an experiment, the first of its kind, to determine what needs to be worked on next. I don't know, I I think uh, conductors all around the, the globe would probably be a little frustrated at the thought that they're going to lose their jobs to a robot. I would be. I would think. Wouldn't you? That it? No, I mean, just I, I'm actually mentally picturing AI Georgine. GRD2 or something, you know. Yeah, why bother? I, I, you know, I, I, hey, you could be on the airwaves forever. Speaking nonsense when the computer screws up. <laughs> I'll not comment. Yeah, I I was I I didn't go there either. Yeah, Just, let it be noted I did not go there. <laughs> uh you have clearly been uh, vacationing because you're more gracious. I am more relaxed, I guess, yes. Well, experimental medicine could revolutionize the field of dentistry according to a new report. A shark's menacing teeth can scare anyone out of the water, but one aspect of some sharks' existence Maybe worth emulating their ability to regrow teeth. Well, an experimental medicine in Japan that could revolutionize the field of dentistry is now moving to clinical trials to create potentially the world's first medicine to regrow teeth. That's according to a recent report in the country's national news site. Uh, those eligible to participate in the trial will be patients who have uh, not developed a full set of teeth due to factors that occurred during birth, according to the report. Well, the medical term for the genetic condition is known as anodontia, uh, meaning the uh, the complete absence of teeth. In partial anodontia, people are missing some of their teeth, according to the National Organization for Rare Disorders, or NORD. Healthcare providers start to suspect the uh, dental condition when babies don't develop teeth by the time they're 13 months old. Uh, these patients often have difficulty with chewing and speaking, which can negatively affect their digestion, cause gum damage, and also stunt jawbone growth. Uh, the clinical trials are due to begin in July of next year in Japan. If successful, the medicine could be available for regulatory approval by 2030, according to the report. Well, that's kind of a fascinating development to be able to grow a whole set of teeth. Certainly those who have disease uh, and are unable to produce teeth, but for those who lose them uh, later in life, this could be quite a boon as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think my only concern is they will grow in your mouth, correct? I mean, you know, 
it's kind of hard to say, hey, what, what, what's that on your ear? Oh, that's my new tooth. Well, you know, they do oftentimes grow things. I've seen uh, an ear grown on someone's leg or arm yeah, or something. Yeah. They do sometimes do that and then put them in place. So that's a good question. Where would they actually grow the teeth? It's, you know, kind of becomes maybe a fashion statement of type, some type. Oh, let's hope not. Yeah. Well, a Nevada Highway Patrol trooper was stunned. Stunned, ladies and gentlemen. After How he, stunned was he? <laughs> he was very stunned. Wow. After he pulled over a hearse that was driving in the carpool lane on Monday, and the driver asked if the corpse he was transporting counted as a passenger. Your thoughts, James? Passenger? No passenger. Uh, I'm going to say no passenger. There's nothing on the sign that says that your passenger has to be breathing. That part's true. You're right. But it does kind of indicate that they're in a seat with you. Mm. Kind of, you know, that kind of makes it look like there are two seats in a car, not one laying down taking a permanent nap. Mm, I don't know. Trooper Travis Smacka, he spotted the Chrysler minivan hearse going southbound in the HOV lane on Interstate 15. Uh, the driver appeared to be alone, but that was because uh, Smacka was not counting the dearly departed in the back. As Nevada Highway Patrol Southern Command later explained on Twitter, so Smacka flashed the light of his uh, patrol car, pulled over the hearse driver, collecting his license and registration. He was expecting to hear one of the more typical excuses that the driver was running late for an appointment or on his way to an emergency situation. But instead, the driver nodded toward the rear of the minivan. Smacka looked. (laughs) He took a hint. Oh, you have a deceased in back. Well, that's when the driver pressed his luck and, and replied, so he doesn't count? Well, the trooper had no choice but to break the bad news. Cars are only allowed in a carpool lane when they're carrying at least two living, breathing people. Now, it doesn't actually say that on the sign designating the HOV lane. He's not with us, he told the driver, then clarified this body was in the rear cargo and that doesn't qualify as a seat. Well, Smacka, again, the patrolman, said the interaction gave him a good chuckle and threw him off his game for a moment. That was one of the more interesting responses I've gotten. The violation called for a $250 traffic ticket, but Smacka decided to let the driver off with a warning instead. The highway patrol has also uh, protected the individual of the um, the identity rather of the driver and the funeral home where he works. I mean, the police did have a body of evidence against the guy. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they did. Yeah. Well, a government official in India has been suspended from his job after he ordered a water reservoir to be drained so that he could retrieve his smartphone, which he had dropped while taking a selfie. A reservoir. An entire reservoir. (laughs) Well, the food inspector dropped his Samsung smartphone uh, in the uh, reservoir in the dam in the central Indian state of, I'm not going to try to pronounce, last week, the Times of India reported, uh, he first asked local divers to jump into the reservoir to find the device, claiming it contained sensitive government data. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But after the initial effort to retrieve his smartphone failed, apparently they did it, he asked for the reservoir to be emptied using diesel pumps. Over the next three days, more than two million liters of water were pumped out from his, the reservoir which is enough to irrigate at least 1,500 acres of land during India's scorching summer, according to local media. In videos that went viral on social media, he's seen sitting under a red umbrella as diesel pumps run 
uh, to drain water from the reservoir. He told local media the water in the reservoir was unusable for irrigation and that he had received permission from a senior official to drain it. The smartphone was eventually retrieved, but wouldn't even start because it was waterlogged. Yeah. Yeah. Authorities later suspended him after he was widely criticized for wasting water resources. India is one of the most water-stressed countries, and extreme temperatures had led to severe water scarcity, causing crop losses, forest fires, and cuts to power. He was only suspended, though. (laughs) That man still has a job, then. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, two million liters of water in a drought. Yeah, that's 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 not good to a tree to retrieve a waterlogged phone. All right. We're out of time. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. And when we return a tribute to someone near and dear to us here at KPDQ and certainly to Salem Media Group, Stu Epperson, he went home to be with the Lord uh, this week. We'll tell you more about his life and legacy and how you have benefited from his commitment to Christ and to Christian broadcasting. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.